You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Job chapter 1, and um, anybody who's ever seen Gene Kelly in that scene of singing in the rain, how many of you have ever, how many of you remember that? Singing in the rain, him dancing around with that umbrella, and we're going to get that and show that to you eventually because that is, uh, that's the key to this series. And as we look at the life in the book of Job, how do you sing in the rain? How do you keep your joy when you're going through the storms of life? Now in Job chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, in the land of us, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. Now watch this, underline this, because this is the definition of blameless and upright. He feared God and he did what? He shunned evil. He had seven sons, he had three daughters, he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. Now everybody look this way. He was the Bill Gates of his day. Okay? Okay? Now watch. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes. They would invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with him. In other words, every time one of them had a birthday, they had a big family celebration. When a period of feasting had run its course, in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, look at this dad, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Now, everyone look this way again. Job practiced mediatorial prayer. That's what we wanted to do last night. We wanted this church spiritually to be practicing a role of being in a mediatorial position on behalf of this city. That's what Job did for his family. Now look at verse 6. And it says this was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Now it wasn't that God didn't know. It was just simply God reminding Satan, you may be a roaring lion, or you may be going about like a roaring lion, but you're on my chain. You're accountable to me. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. In verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him, his household, and everything that he's had? He has. You've blessed him the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand, God. Strike everything that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. You know, the Bible says no man can see the face of God and live. Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything that he has is in your hands. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. God always lays the perimeters and the boundaries of suffering. 
Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. That's a bad translation. He ran as quickly as he could. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, the Sambians attacked, carried them off, put all the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has left and escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky, burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who's escaped and is here to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding armies or parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind, a storm, a tornado came. In from the desert struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them. They are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head because that's what in the Middle Eastern culture they do in grief. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked, I came from my mother's womb Naked, I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin. Now look this way. By charging God with wrongdoing. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, we love you so much. And Lord, you know I love these people. Lord, I'd never do anything to hurt them. I'll give an account for every word I've said today. I'll give an account for the, for the authority that I exercise over this congregation. And dear Lord, I love them too much not to tell them the truth. Lord, I always want to be a man that will tell them the truth. And I pray, dear Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit will convict the hearts That, dear Lord, in this congregation, you will raise up men, black and white, who will go across this city, taking those crosses, saying to these areas where the enemy has set up camp, that the light of the power of your Holy Spirit is now moving. Dear Lord, may you do what only you can do. I watched in Zimbabwe, in Harare, Zimbabwe, Oh, Pastor Jaina, four o'clock in the morning with a group of men marching through the streets of that city. Dear Lord, on into the hours of the morning. Why that early? Because people were already up trying to go to work or do whatever. Father, may you raise up men like that. May you raise up women like that. And God, may you do something today. And you speak to our hearts, even in this sermon, in this series. God, I've already asked you to cleanse me and to forgive me. Lord, I pray you'll use me today for a vessel. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, the question question is, how do you maintain joy 
when you're going through a storm. And, and you may say, well, you know, why is that question so important? I want, you to, I want you to hang with me here. The reason that question is important is because the world is always going to be watching a believer when they go through the storm. You see, that's what the world does. The world watches. They don't watch us in fair weather. They watch us in the storms. Lost people tend to look at a believer when we're going through the storm. Let me tell you what they do. They step back, they fold their arms, and they'll look at you and they'll say, okay, now let's see if this is real or not. Let's see if this stuff is real. You've been, you've been talking about faith and you've been talking about your relationship with God and you've been, you Christians claim that God is good. <laughs> you Christians claim that God is sovereign, that God's in control. You Christians claim that if you live right, that God will bless you. Well, let's just see what that stuff, let's see what you're made out of now. You see, that's when the world watches a believer because it's in these times that the difficult questions of our faith begin to surface. You see, because the world is right. The world is right when they look at us and say, I thought you said God is good. Well, then why are you going through this storm? I thought you said if you lived right and did right that God would take care of you. Why are you going through this bad time in your life? I thought you said that God is sovereign, that God's in control. Well, if He's in control, then where does evil come from? And how is evil doing this in your life? Why are all these bad things happening to you? Let's just see what you're made out of. See if you're real or not. And a lot of times the world's disappointed. You see, Job is a book like no other. I have fallen in love with this book. I, I tell you, I've gotten up at 5 o'clock in the morning, fixed some coffee, and just sat there, just consumed with the book. One writer said this is the most interactive book of any book in all the Bible. I mean, you think, sometimes when you read, you think, Job, I'm surprised you didn't take a gun and shoot these friends of yours. But Job is the opportunity for you and I to watch a saint, a godly, faithful, righteous man who feared God and shunned evil. It's our opportunity to watch a saint go through a storm, to navigate his way through a storm, to see his faith tested. You see, the world likes that. They like to see that. And I think deep down inside, you know what I think? I think the world is hoping you and I pass the test. I hope they think, it. man, this is real. Wow. Charles Wendell said that a faith that is not worth testing is not worth trusting. We are allowed in the book of Job to witness the gut-wrenching struggle of a man asking God, watch this, Why? We watch him wrestle with those who he loves and loses. We see what some writers call the dark night of the soul when those deep questions begin to, to ring deep inside of us. How do you sing in the rain? How does a Bob Smith, and we may laugh because blind Bob was moving that pulpit and one time I remember he was preaching over here, he blind and I had to get up and I was trying to figure out how do I turn the pulpit back around. We may wonder how a blind, how a man, an evangelist from Dallas, loses two children. 
Think how much you love your child. Loses two children. Loses his eyesight at 33. And then loses his business. And yet his faith is contagious. He has a joy that permeates all around him. How do people, how do people sing in the rain? How do they persevere through the painful valleys without losing their joy? Now listen, let me clarify something. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness comes when things are happening around you. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is something that God gives you. In other words, a believer can have joy, not happiness. They can have joy, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of unbelievable suffering. But how? I remember years ago, PTL. Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Tammy Faye Baker used to sing a song called We're Blessed. We're blessed, we're blessed, we're blessed. A lot of people made fun of it. I might have a little bit too. And you'd see Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, they were sitting in this plush TV studio in the midst of an enormous amount of wealth. And we know what that wealth did to Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. And you would hear her singing. And I, I know that the lost world was almost was laughing. Because it is easy in the midst of wealth and health and prominence and popularity and prestige to sing, we're blessed. But can I ask you something? What happens when God... Now listen to me, stay with me here. What happens when God takes us from riches to rags? Because that's the question of Job. He's not talking about from rags to riches... He's talking about from riches to rags. What happens and how do we handle it when God removes blessings? When He takes them away? Because that's what Job says. He says, the Lord gives. What's the Lord giving? The Lord's give blessings. Satan resents it. But Job lifts up his hands and says, the Lord gives. He gives those blessings and the Lord takes them away. But how do you survive that? Because we understand that today, whether it's TV, whether it's books, whether it's conferences, it's more how to have your best life now. It's preachers and books and the blessing bandwagon. It's health and wealth theology in our world today that is void of substance and a cheap imitation of true Christianity. And it is designed for a materialistic culture that is consumed with itself. God wants you healthy. God wants you wealthy. God wants you to have all of the rich blessings. But what do we do with Job? Rip it out of our Bible and throw it in the fire? Is it possible that a loving, caring God sometimes takes blessings away and allows a measure of suffering to come come into our life not only do how do we survive that, but what do we do with it? What do we do with it? And that's the question of Job. When we find Job here in chapter 1, this is a pre-storm Job. This fits nicely into this, this 
uh, theology that we have in America today. But when we get in the middle of Job's storm, there's a theological tragedy here because it's a contradiction of what he and most people in the Old Testament believed. That if you lived right, if you did right, then you were going to be blessed. And if you were not blessed and you were suffering, it's because you've done something wrong. You see, the issue so often in our lives is when we begin to suffer, we first ask the question, something is wrong, who sinned? What have I done wrong? You see, our temptation is when we're suffering or people we love are suffering, we want to explain the why of the suffering. We want to try to figure it out. There's got to be a reason for it. We've just got to find the reason. So here we find Job. Now let me introduce you to Job. Job is first of all, number one, Job is rich. The Bible doesn't apologize here. Imagine if Job were a modern day figure and he were to move his membership to Southside Baptist Church. It would be a great day. Imagine Bill Gates joining this church today. We discover that Bill Gates has moved to a nice home out on the reservoir and Bill Gates has visited Southside Baptist Church because he's heard about what God is doing here and Bill Gates comes and he says, I want to come, my wife and I, and we want to, light, we want to unite with this church. I can tell you what Steve would be doing. Steve would be saying to Melena, put on your red dress, mama, because we're going out tonight. The staff would already be knowing, man, we're sitting on a gold bag. We all get raises this year, buddy. <laughs> Woo! We're going to do some stuff. Well, Miss Irene would have a new educational building already planned. Yeah. Job is rich. He comes, he moves his membership from the First Baptist Church of Us to Southside Baptist Church. He has ten children. He's a powerful figure in his community. He's wealthy. He has all kinds of, he has all kinds of things. I mean, it's beyond anything we could comprehend. And I want to say something today. There is nothing wrong with being rich. If you've worked hard, if you haven't robbed God, if you've done it honest with integrity, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, there's a movement today in America sometimes that wants to say, if you're rich, that's a bad thing. Shame on you for having money. My friend, that's not true. You know, uh, and I, I told one of, our, one of our ladies, I said, you'll amen this portion. You know, a kid works hard. Let's, a kid goes up through school. While other kids are out playing and messing around, you know, this kid takes their studies seriously. They're studying hard. They're working hard. Junior high, high school. They're the kid that just always wants to make A's. They work hard. While other kids are playing, they're out there studying. They're, 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 doing, their, they're doing their studies. They're, they're making the grades. While they get on into college, while some kids are flipping hamburgers and playing videos, this kid's, uh, this kid's trying to go to college, and they're going to school, and they're, they're studying hard, and, and, and they make the grade, and finally they take the MCAT, and they, they get into medical school, and they're studying 20 hours a day, seven days a week. There's no life. They don't have no life. They are investing everything because they feel a call. They feel a desire to be a doctor. They go to school, most of them, on loans, on borrowed money because they come from families that can't afford it. 
They graduate from medical school. Poor as dirt, horribly in debt. They go through their residency. They get out of that residency after 20 hours a day, seven days a week. They go in and open their first practice. They're horribly in debt. They go into additional debt. And at 35, they're just starting out. Okay? They get a loan, they open a practice, and they provide jobs for secretaries, for nurses, for lab, for the janitorial staff that will clean it up. And folks, let me tell you something. You may say, well, you know, that's not fair. I clean my daughter's dental office every week to pay for my teeth and the work's done on my teeth. And to remain here as your pastor. Job was rich. If this country continues on the road that it's on, and we remove the incentive, and I believe in capitalism, unapologetically. Socialism is a fancy word for communism. And I don't know how many of you have done it. I've lived in a communist country for a few years, run by a thug. Okay? And I've watched those people suffer and go through great heartache. When you remove the incentive of that young kid who studies hard to make the grades, to go to medical school, to become a doctor, to open the practice and provide those jobs, when you remove the incentive for that kid to do what they'll do, you'll break down the economy of this country. And it's not right. I'm not going to take risk, work hard, study, take loans, and start a business for me to work hard and give a thug out here that's making hell on earth in this city with crime and causing all the problems they're causing because they're too lazy to get an education. And you can thank me after the service. And by the way, if you vote this Tuesday for a pro-abortion candidate, you are an accomplice to murder. If you go into that booth, you may say, nobody will see me. I'm going to vote for this, econ- this, this candidate because of the economy. My friend and that candidate is a pro-abortion. In my opinion, you've become an accomplice to murder. and We've already murdered over 50 million unborn. And again, you can thank me after the service. See, Job was rich. But I want you to know something else. Job was resented. If you look at chapter 1, verse 6, it says here, with all of the blessings and all of the riches, it said that he had an enemy. And that enemy is the devil. He is a man of great wealth, of great prominence. He's a popular figure. He's passionate about his family. He's an honest, hardworking man, but he has an enemy. He has an uh, evil, wicked villain who is working behind the scenes. He is filled with a simmering hatred for, for Job. He can't stand Job. He is the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies. He's Diabolos. He's the devil. He's Satan. He has a demonic agenda. He despises Job. He despises his family. He despises everything about Job because Job is a testimony of righteous, upright, blameless life and he can't stand it. Job is proof that when you seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that all these other things will be added, and Satan cannot stand him, and he can't stand you.
He hates you. You see, Job is rich and Job is resented. And so Satan hates Job and he hates you. He hates me. You know, some people think, I think today in our culture, they think, well, you know, I'm just going to join up with the devil. You know, I've had people say that. I've had people so bold as to say to me, look, preacher, I don't want to hear that. I'm joining up with the devil. You know, that's what Jesus was tempted. You remember when Satan took him and put him up on that mountain? And he looked at him and he said, in Luke chapter 4, he said, Satan, he said, Satan said to Jesus, he said, oh, see all these kingdoms, see all, these, all the kingdoms of the world. He said he showed him everything in a moment. He's, and listen to what Satan said. These are mine and they're mine to give. And I'll give them to you if you'll bow down and worship me. There's been politicians, there have been athletes, there have been movie stars, there have been entertainers, there have been multitudes of men and women who dropped down to their knees and said, Satan, I'll give it, I'll do it all for you. This is his world system, and he controls it. And he says to the Son of God, the Creator of the universe, the One, the Incarnate Christ, He says to Him, listen, all these things I'll give you if you'll bow down and worship Me. And there's been many a popular figure today who has sold their soul to the devil. And I've told you over and over again about Elvis Presley who wept and cried in a limo on his way to a Las Vegas show. And Nancy Sinatra said, Elvis, you have everything that the world could offer. And at that moment, he looked and wept and cried and said, but I told God no a long time ago when he called me into ministry. Some of the most miserable people in a body of believers are those who have a call of God on their life and they've said to God no. And they spend the rest of their life making hell on earth for the preacher. you got some people that want to flirt around with another man's congregation because they're too sorry to get, get their lives right and have their own. Job was rich, but Job was resented. Satan attacks the integrity of Job and he attacks the integrity of God. But thirdly, and I'll close in a moment, Job's not only rich, Job is not only resented, Job is robbed. Look at, look at as we read on, look at verse 13. In Job chapter 1, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house, a messenger came. Now everyone look this way. One messenger after another. I remember, I'll never forget, a while back, walking in, and Stephanie had just pulled up, we got here about the same time, walking in and seeing the window, listen to this, the window busted out of the prayer room. The window busted out of the prayer room, walking into this side door, and the monitor being ripped off the wall. I thought the audacity, I thought, you know, you, you break in through the prayer room to steal something from the church. I couldn't believe it. And, and for a moment, I just, I felt sick. I just felt almost nauseated as if some horrible crime had taken place or privacy had been invaded. And this is Job. 
He's not only rich, he's not only resented, he's robbed. Satan says, listen, you tear down that hedge. You give me access to him. You remove this protection and I promise you that he'll curse you to your face. And Satan begins to rob everything because that's what the enemy does. The enemy robs, he steals, he takes away. It's an avalanche of bad news. One behind the other. I thought a hee-haw here when it's when that old song that said, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd I'd have no luck at all. If this was a modern day Job, if this was Bill Gates, this would be the equivalent of Bill Gates sitting into this service and all of a sudden his cell phone vibrating about six times, and we see Mr. Gates go out that out that out that door there, and a few minutes later we hear a groan. And one messenger after another comes in. Job, you've lost this. The Sambians have come in. They, they've taken, the, they, 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 they've taken the, the, the livestock. Job, there's been, the, the pasture was like a tinderbox and a bolt of lightning came and just wiped out the entire flock of sheep and killed your servants. Job, the Chaldeans came in three raiding armies. They took the camels and they took them captive and they killed all of the, all of the servants. Job, just one right after the other. As quick as Bill Gates could hang up one phone, another would ring. Another call would come over and over again to one. Imagine this. Imagine this. Bill Gates joined Southside Baptist Church, living in a multi-million dollar home on the reservoir. One of the most powerful, most wealthy men in all the world who's planning his life here. And we're all excited. We're planning the budget. When all of a sudden Bill Gates comes back in and he, and he just simply looks at this congregation and he says, I'm sorry to say, I've just lost everything. I had a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, who lives in this area. In one year, had a business that brought in over $20 million. He called me with those words. He said, I've lost everything like that. One bit of news after another. And then finally... We watch Bill Gates as his phone rings again. We think, my God, where's he going now? We see the most powerful, most wealthy man and one of the most wealthy men in the world. We've watched him repeatedly go out there. We've heard the groan. We've seen our deacons get up and move out. We've seen this man come back in, put his arm around his wife and say, honey, we've lost everything. And his wife says, but at least we still have our family. And the phone vibrates again. And Bill Gates says, what could it be now? And we watch Bill Gates and he goes back out and all of a sudden we hear this groan. Dusty, our chairman of deacons, comes up. He says, Brother Jeff, he just comes up in the middle of the message. He says, Brother Jeff, Bill Gates' family's been killed in a plane crash. Everybody from Fannin, everybody who's ever went lived in Fannin will know what I'm talking about here. Sweet little mama, Sally, was on her way home after visiting her daddy. Had two beautiful twin little babies and another child in her van. Was on her way home. Coming on the road from Twin Lakes into Florence. 
something happened. She lost control of the vehicle. The vehicle rolled over and over again. I think for a while, Sally was comatose. The oldest child lived. The twins were both killed. Beautiful twins, like toddlers, a couple of years old. I will never forget, Sally was so broken up and in such a mess physically that they couldn't tell her that her twins had been killed. I will never forget the day when the leadership of that church said, Brother Jeff, we're telling Sally today we want you to be there. We walked into this sweet mama's room. We stood around her bed. Sally knew something was wrong. Finally, we got down. I'll never forget this moment. The hallway at University Hospital was filled with people from Fannin. And all of a sudden, we leaned down. These are the moments that age a preacher. And we said, Sally, we are so sorry. She said, what do you mean? Your your twins, we called them by name. They died in the crash. She just just wailed out. And when she wailed out in that room, a wail, a groan went all the way up and down University Hospital because those people began to hear when they heard her wail. They all just began to join in a chorus of weeping. At University Hospital, one of the most powerful medical centers in the country with some of the most brilliant minds in the world came to a standstill because a saint of God was suffering. Because the God who had given the blessings had decided to take them. And as we wailed and we cried with them, as we wailed and we cried with them, as we grieved over that loss, those words came powerfully. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that sweet, precious saint to this day when you see her, we'll see her in Walmart. God gave her another child. We'll see her in Walmart. And her face just glows like Bob Smith because she knows where those two sweet little babies are. You see, the world watches us not when God is showering blessings when God looks down and says I'm going to have to take some but it's all right it's all right you can trust me we're going to walk through this together and you're going to be stronger and better and I'm going to 
use you as a testimony and a witness of your faith in me so that lost people will scratch their head, they'll fold their arms, and they'll look at a Sally, and they'll say, how do you do that? And when Stephen Curtis Chapman's teenage son pulls into the driveway and runs over Stephen Curtis Chapman's little six-year-old daughter and kills her. And the world watches to see what Stephen Curtis Chapman and his family will do. By the grace of God, they rise above the pain and the suffering, and they say, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And on my refrigerator is this man's sweet little boy that God took. But I have a feeling that God says, hey, you'll see him again. And for the family back here whose mama is wrestling with cancer, who's struggling right now, watching their mama go through the most difficult time in their life, who need to feel the loving arms of this church around them, who goes through suffering, but Jesus says, I'm going to be with you through this and you're going to make it. And while I can move across this room and around the broken lives of people who have given those people that they love, people who have suffered through financial, through health, through all the problems that they've suffered through. And God says this, trust me. Trust me. It's going to be all right. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. And there's going to be a great testimony to come out of this. And don't worry about your loved one. I'm going to take care of them. One day when Sally gets to heaven, who do you think is going to meet her? Yeah. That's right. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we come to you. Sometimes, dear Lord, we suffer. Sometimes, dear Lord, our health is not good. Sometimes we suffer financially and we wonder how we'll make it. Sometimes, dear Lord, we have problems raising a child and they're grown, but they just grieve our hearts. Sometimes we're in a marriage that's abusive a spouse that is running around or hurting us. and Sometimes, dear Lord, we... Sometimes, dear Lord, we feel like no matter how hard we try to do right, we hurt and we suffer. Sometimes, dear Lord, it seems like those that walk the closest to you have had to pay the greatest sacrifice. And when that happens, dear Lord, we have to sometimes quench the question, God, why? But you're on the other side. And what makes absolutely no sense to us, 
is the perfect, sweet, precious plan of Jesus. Because we know, for in all things, we know this, that in all things work together for our good. Dear Lord, I pray for Sally today and prayed for her in a long time. I know, dear Lord, the loss of those children. The pain of that will always be deep inside. But I know, dear Lord, that that sweet mama is looking a lot more forward to heaven than some of us in this room. You see, that's the joy of suffering. That's the joy of giving up people that we love. It makes heaven sweeter. It makes us realize we have to smile and say, I've got, I've got so much on the other side. Dear Lord, there have been times that Bob Smith and I, we've wept. I've watched him. I've watched him struggle when Bob Jr. died. I watched him talk about wanting to go and lay on his grave and pray God raise him up. I've watched him have victory. I've watched him grow into a man that has affected my life and the lives of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. God, we know that suffering's not easy, but we know that you'll bring us through it. And we trust you. And so, Father, I pray today that if there's one man, one woman, one young person here, that, dear Lord, is trying to go through a difficult period in their life and they've never given their heart and their life to you, they're not saved, that, dear Lord, they would do that now. That, Lord, you reach out, you want to embrace them and pull them close and say, I want you to be my child. You say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. It's easy. Why? Because, dear Lord, it's your yoke and you're holding up. The pressure and the strain of it. So, Father, if there's one here that needs to be saved, they'll come today. If there's one here, dear Lord, that has drifted away from you, Lord, you're drawing them back. If there's one here that's suffering and they're struggling right now and they're going through a difficulty, I, dear Lord, pray that they would come and Maybe say to Reggie and Tamara, to Jeff and Leanne or John and Emily or one of our counselors, would you pray with me? This is hard. This is hard. I'm hurting. I don't know that I could get through this. God, we can't, but you can. And we trust you. And so, Lord, I pray, even as we stand right now, with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, dear Lord, even as we stand, may it be a testimony that, Lord, we are going to walk through this. We're going to take the hand of Christ and we're going to say, Lord, with your help, I will survive this. I will make it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, you know the suffering in this room. And dear Lord, as we stand as a testimony and we reach our hands out to you, give us strength. Move us, dear Lord. If we need to pray at this altar, draw us here today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.